was well meet ones. That was all right. Continuing today in the book of Colossians, Colossians 2, beginning with verse 8. We're going to consider what Paul raises here, the matter of everything that we're doing, that we do being according to Christ. I'll read verses 8 through 15 of Colossians 2, and you'll want to follow in the Scriptures as I read. And then you'll want to keep the Bible open because the message will very simply develop the text. Colossians 2, beginning with verse 8. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceptions according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. In this passage, which we'll try to explain, Paul raises one of the cardinal issues of the New Testament. That issue being whether those who belong to Jesus are ever going to allow anything at any time to supersede the Word of God is our authority. Now the central issue in all religion and the central issue in all the history of Christianity has always been authority. You may ask, why are there so many denominations? How was it that uh, 1,500 years ago, the church which had grown out of the ministry of Jesus Christ and the apostles suddenly turned down a road which led the world into what history calls the Dark Ages? You may ask, why are there such divisions today, so many different groups, so many believing different things? And the answer to that is the one central issue in theology, the issue of authority. You see, 1,500 years ago, the church, now the church, now known as the Roman Catholic Church, turned aside and developed a theology that said the traditions of the church had equal authority with the Word of God. And thus, the focus of authority was shifted from the infallible and inerrant Word of God to the minds of men, even though they were the most intelligent and highly educated men on the earth at that time. Now, when the focus is turned aside, men use many devices to turn things away from the Word. Sometimes they use what they call proper interpretation, 
which is being translated into plain English, denying what God said. Sometimes creeds, statements of faith, constitutions, personal preference, and as Paul deals with here, the specific issue in Colossae were human man-made traditions. Now Paul says in this passage that all things must be done according to Christ. So let us examine Colossians 2, 8 through 15. Notice first of all in verse 8, here Paul mentions the traditions of men. And as we read, he said, see to it, be careful, beware that no one takes you captive through philosophy and deception. What is philosophy that is false? What is deception? He goes on to define it through the tradition of men according to what? The elementary principles of the world. What would those things be? The elementary principles of the world. Well, logic, reason, practicality, all of those things we think God wants us to use on his behalf. He says when you follow tradition, when you follow logic, reason, practicality, you have been taken captive by empty deceptions rather than according to Christ. Now tradition may be defined as something that is handed down from one generation to another. And tradition may have great value, but the only value tradition has for the church is if and as and only as the tradition has a plain, obvious basis in the Word of God. Otherwise, it is fruitless for us. When it has a basis in human reason, it is useless for us. When it displaces God's Word, it is worthless, dangerous, and harmful. In Mark 7, verse 8, Jesus spoke to the most religious people the world had seen up until that time, and he said, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men neglecting the commandments of God, holding fast to the traditions of men. Jesus said, we must be bound only by the word. Now this is a common temptation because a movement soon becomes an institution. An institution soon rotates in a very tight circle and becomes bound by its own habits. Now that may be valid, but only when it has a firm basis in the Word of God. It is a common temptation, but the true people of God must always resist that temptation, for temptation always leads to sin. Christ alone is supreme. Knowledge is valuable, but knowledge is not the standard of anything that we do. Knowledge is not the standard. The standard is the Word of God without whom there would be nothing to know in the first place. Anything less than following according to Christ is humanism. And hear me well, no humanist is a Christian. No humanist is a Christian. Secular humanism is a religion. 
It is not atheistic because secular humanism has a God. The God is the human mind. And the Bible teaches us that everything that man considers wisdom is foolishness before God. And everything that God considers wisdom is foolishness before men. Isaiah quoted the Lord as saying, My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. For as high as the sky is above the earth, so are my ways that high above yours. Anything less than following his word is humanism. And no humanist is a Christian because he has a God other than Jesus Christ. It is no service to deny God's word for any reason at any time. If you will learn his word, you will have all that you need to know to do his work. Now, perhaps this is an analogy that you can relate to a little easier. Is it not foolish to try and base a spiritual society like the church on foundations that are wholly humanistic? If you're going to build something spiritual, doesn't it need a spiritual foundation? And there's nothing spiritual about the mind of man. And that is exactly what we do. We try to build according to our own specifications, following our own code rather than God's, when we allow anything other than the Word of God to be the judge of the things of God in the church. Perfect harmony, which we all desire, is possible only on the basis of God's Word. Now, I would caution you against preaching Christ and falling down at the shrine to worship of the human mind. In Isaiah 8, verse 20, Isaiah said, quoting the Lord, If they speak not according to my word, it is because there is no light in them. Now, is that clear? Is that not plain? God says, if they speak not according to my word, it is because they are full of darkness. They have no light in them. Men say, but we've got to be realistic. God says, if it's not according to my word, it is because there is no light within them. Men say, you've got to deal with people. God says, we've got to deal with God Almighty who is sovereign on the throne of heaven. And if they speak not according to this word, it is because they have no light in them. Paul cautions, lest we be taken captive to the tradition of men rather than according to Christ. And then in verses 9 to 12, here is the triumph of Christ. Paul says, for in him dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. How are we going to be complete? How are we going to do what's right? How are we going to do what God wants done? We are made complete in Christ. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Tradition is valid, but only as far as it relates directly to the Word of God. Let me pause to ask you this when you consider tradition. Consider the history of our church, roughly 90 years. Where was God before the church came along? Consider Baptist history, roughly 360 years. Was God around prior to that? And as Job spoke to his friends, where were you 
when God laid the foundations of the universe. Tradition is valid as it relates to the Word. He, Jesus, is the head, verse 10, over all rule and authority. And in Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of this flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And we'll consider verse 12 in a moment. In Christ and nowhere else dwells all the fullness of God. You know, men always want to know what God is like. After three years, his disciples wanted to know what God was like. And Jesus turned to his disciple and he said, Don't you know that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father? You want to know what God is like? God's just like Jesus. That's what he's like. He's not a cruel tyrant detached from us. He's not somebody that Jesus has to go and beg to leave us alone and not treat us dirty. God is just like Jesus. And we are complete, Paul says, in Christ, just as Christ is complete in the Father. We are filled full of Christ, the Greek says literally, and He is all that we will ever need. True life is found only in union with Jesus. That's the only where life is found. The Bible teaches that until an individual comes to know Jesus Christ and let him forgive them and live inside of them, until that time, that individual is dead. Now the Bible, the New Testament uses several words for life, but one word that it applies to life outside of Christ is the word bios, B-I-O-S. It's where we get our English word biology, the study of life. But bios refers to physical existence only. And then when the New Testament talks about being made alive in Christ and living with Him inside of us, it uses the word zoe, Z-O-E, another word, zoology. And the meaning of zoe is life which is life indeed. True life is found only in Christ. Now Paul in verses 11, 12, 11 and 12 talks about baptism and circumcision. Now, circumcision was to the Old Testament what baptism is to the New. It was a physical outward sign of the ownership of God and of His people being distinct from the world around them. And Paul compares the two. He says that what God does for us, circumcision, is internal and not external. It is spiritual and not physical. In the old era, circumcision ridded the body of a few bits of flesh. But in the new era, the circumcision made without hands, the circumcision of Christ, doesn't rid us of a little bit of skin. It rid us, rids us of the old nature, the body of this flesh, and makes us alive in Christ. And then lest anyone would believe that either circumcision in the old era or baptism in the new era would make us alive in Christ by themselves, he goes on to explain that these things are merely symbols of what God is doing for us. They are outward signs of an inner reality. For when an individual comes to the end of all self-effort, when an individual comes to the end of legalism, trying to be saved by doing what's right, 
when an individual comes to the end of human solutions and admits that only God can help him, then when he cries out to God, he is saved and baptized into the family of God by the Holy Spirit. Paul says we were buried with Christ and raised with him. And here's something that's very exciting to me. Our death with Christ and our resurrection are just as real as His were. In the book of Romans, Paul says that we have died with Christ at the cross in the past. That when He died there, we died with Him. And when He raised from the dead, we raised with Him. And here is the good news Paul shares in Romans 6 through 8. And that is that the one who is dead to sin is no longer under the control of sin unless he allows it to be so. Beloved, everything God is, he is in Jesus Christ. And everything Jesus is, is available to you if you will walk with him one day at a time. You do not need to be dominated by sin. See, that's one of the devil's lies that we've just got to sin and sin and sin because we can't get away from it. Now, it is a fact that all have sinned and that all will sin, but walking in the Spirit, sin has no claim on you because you've been made alive with Christ. And only as you let Him have control by failing to appropriate the gift of God, which is Jesus in you, only as you let him control you can he do so. Here is the triumph of Christ. And then notice in verses 13 and 14, here is the transformation of believers. Paul continues with this same theme, and he says... And when you were dead in transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were totally separated from God, not only spiritually but physically, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the note, the debt, consisting of decrees against us, which were hostile to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." Remember when you sin that he has forgiven everything. One of the devil's favorite tricks is to convince you that now that you've sinned, when you knew you were wrong, when you did it with your eyes wide open, that God's through with you, that you've blown it. Beloved, if we all hadn't blown it, Jesus would never have gone to the cross. But because he did go to the cross you will never be capable of blowing it so bad that the blood of Jesus can't wash it white as snow. It'll never happen. Nothing is left out of his forgiveness. His life in us is not only through eternity, it's right now. Remember that you have already gone to the grave with him and now you are alive and transformed. Verse 14 is a beautiful picture. It says that he canceled all that we owe. That's a beautiful picture. He came in and he paid off everything. Literally, when it says canceled, it's the uh, Greek term that was used when they would write on their writing material, which was very expensive and made out of animal skins, 
They used an ink without any acid in it, which would not eat into the writing surface. And since the writing material was so expensive, when they got through with one, they would wet a cloth and wipe it clean. And when you looked at it, it looked like it had never been written on. That's what he did for us at the cross. He wiped you so clean, it's just like you never did anything wrong. And every time you confess and repent, he does it all over again. And then he says he has laid it aside and nailed it to the cross. You need to get this. This is glory ground. Whenever in the Roman Empire a criminal was executed by crucifixion, the authorities would write out the charge that he had been convicted of and nail it on the cross above his head so that anybody that came by could see exactly what he'd done that was so wrong that he forfeited his life. Now, that's not foreign to us. You remember in the Gospels, we read how Pontius Pilate did the same thing when Jesus died. He wrote out the accusation, this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in three languages, and he nailed it to the cross. And right here is where Paul steps in, and here's what he says. In the eyes of God, who knew beforehand that we would claim Christ as our Savior, in the eyes of God, all of our sins were written down and nailed to the cross above the head of Jesus. And when Jesus died and was taken down from the cross and raised from the dead, that indictment against us stayed nailed to the cross and it's still there. He took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross so that we could be clean and pure and saved. You see, our sin died at the cross when Jesus died. He killed it. It's dead. He fulfilled the claims of the law for all righteousness. And on the cross, remember, before he died, Jesus said, it is finished. And when something's finished, you can't add anything to it. And that means you can't add anything to what Jesus has done to save you from your sins. It's enough. It's enough for all of us. And then notice in verse 15, here is the tragedy of the rebellious. Related back to verse 8, probably the most difficult temptation that we have to deal with is that temptation to define everything in terms of what we know and understand. For instance, Men are forever protesting against God, saying, how could a holy, righteous, loving God send men to hell? Well, you see, the way they can feel that way is because they define holiness, righteousness, and love in terms of us and not in terms of God. Do you think it would be an act of love for God never to separate the righteous from the wicked? Would it be an act of love for God to make us dwell through eternity with those who hate him? Not at all. You know, it's funny. We understand that with our children. 
I don't think there's a parent in this room that doesn't recognize and exercise the best way they understand it, sane and reasonable discipline. And yet we think it would be an act of love if God just turned his back and forgot what everybody always did. Listen, not only will God not do that, God can't do that. Because God has created a universe that is responsive to his perfection. And God has created a universe in which the, the sin must be punished. And if there was any way that sin could be forgiven apart from the shedding of blood, Jesus would never have left the throne in heaven. Now, he gave his son for us. And verse 15 tells us of the tragedy of rebellion. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. His death was not only the act whereby he pardons us, it was an eternal victory over Satan and all who do not own Jesus as Lord. He will make one day a universal and public display of them. And even in the end, though it was not his perfect will, their damnation will glorify God. They are defeated now, today, and they can hurt us only as we allow them to do so by failing to appropriate the victory that he has won for us at the cross. It says he cast them off forever. Now Paul's picture of making a public display is a picture that was tradition in the Roman Empire. When Rome sent off one of her generals and some of her armies to conquer the provinces, to expand the empire, they sent them off with a parade and with loud cheers, letting them know they wanted victory in the war. And when the Roman general had won the war and he came back home, he entered Rome in a triumphal procession and behind him came all of the vanquished that they had conquered. That's what it's like when Jesus comes into his kingdom as he leads all the vanquished home in triumph. We need to be reminded at all times that God has no other answer to questions, needs, and situations other than Jesus. And the only way you can find out the mind of Jesus is as the Holy Spirit illumines not your intellect, but as he illumines to your intellect the Word of God. That is the only way we can know. To seek any course of action that he does not dictate is to live in open rebellion against God. There are many things we do that we don't understand. Why submit to authority? Why? Because God demands it. And if that's not a good enough reason, you need to examine your commitment to the Lord Jesus. All things must be done according to Christ. Anything that is not is covered by Isaiah 8.20. When they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Remember that we must be according to Christ. Why? Because he is triumphant. Because he has transformed us. 
and because he will reign victoriously forever. He is Lord of lords and kings of kings. He is everything that we need. And the only question that you need to answer is will you let Jesus be Lord and do what he says because he says it without questioning, without trying to exalt the human mind above the Word of God. Will you come to Him today? May we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the truth of your Word as I confess the inability to communicate it as clearly as I would like to. But Father, I, like, I would ask you to honor the Word that it may bear fruit. I pray that we will have a desire above all else to please Jesus, to let everything that we cherish go if it does not have a solid foundation in your Word. Now, Father, this question of authority relates to all of us. There are many who are not at peace because they are not in line with the authority of their parents or their employers because they are not obedient to authority in society. Father, there are some who are lost who have not been found by you. Father, there are some who need to make peace with each other as well as with you. I just pray that as you illumine our hearts today, you would show every one of us what we need to do to line up with your will. Father, change lives, mend relationships. By your power, do what you will. I claim it in the name of Jesus.